Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, today, we're really going to go to the breastfeeding stuff. And let me just tell you, I've got an unusual show on tap for you today. And what do I mean by that? I mean that sometimes there are things that I want to talk about, but it's not really a one-hour show, and yet I feel like it's something that people, mothers, parents should be aware of. And so today I'm going to talk with you about some things that I think are especially important. And I'm going to start out by talking about breastfeeding in a disaster or in an emergency If you have been in Houston, you have been subject to absolutely a horrific disaster. That seems to be, well, you know, even when it's over, it's never over. So I'm not going to say it's over. But nonetheless, the hurricane itself has gone away, but there are still a number of issues. As I speak, there are several tropical storms that are winding up. And I just have this really bad feeling that somehow we need to be much more prepared for breastfeeding in an emergency. Even if you are not in that situation, you might be able to help with that situation. If not this time around, then later. My husband reminded me that hurricane season here in our area is at least until November. And so we still have plenty of days ahead where, in fact, a hurricane might be happening. I hope not. But nonetheless, let me talk first about Breastfeeding in a disaster, and by that I sort of mean hurricane, although it certainly could be something else. I sat down and I told myself, well, this is a show that busts the myths and clarifies the facts. Let's start with the myths. So I want to start with the one that I hear the most frequently, which is in that sort of a situation, mothers are too stressed to make good milk or to make enough milk. That is totally, totally untrue. Let me give you a number of things that play into what make that untrue. First of all, human milk has hormones that is actually with that are actually within the milk. And these hormones help the mothers to relax and to calm down. They also help the baby to relax and to settle down. So that is a wonderful sort of built-in, if you will, feature of having the milk. Stress actually does not affect the goodness of the milk. I know there are some really kind of crazy things flying around out there that somehow the milk spoils or gets sour or some other. That's just not true. It's just totally not true. Now, I will admit that being stressed could perhaps, and that's a big perhaps, decrease the mother's volume. But the ability to have a letdown uh, also is a possibility. But just remember, 
This is by no means an across-the-board occurrence, Alrighty. So if you can settle yourself down a little bit, and if you can settle your baby down a little bit, that would be good. Here's my first recommendation. Just try to start by taking a few really good deep breaths all the way up from your toes. If you remember being in labor, you know how that goes. It goes... Can you feel me taking those breaths all the way up from my toes? That's what you need to do. And by the way, this works for other things other than just having a milk lot down. But that will very often help to settle you down. Here's another thing. Skin-to-skin contact with your baby can help you to settle down, helps the baby to settle down. Studies have clearly shown that it helps the baby to maintain his heart rate. It helps the baby to have a better temperature, which, by the way, if you're out in the cold, that's important. Just wrap yourself up, wrap wrap a, a blanket or something around the baby's back. You get skin to skin with the baby. It also helps the baby's respirations. So all of that is good. But being stressed does not necessarily affect your milk volume, nor the goodness of your milk, nor your ability to have a volume of milk. It might affect your letdown, but you can help yourself to calm down and get a good letdown. Okay, here's the second big myth. That malnourished mothers can't make enough, can't make good milk or can't make enough milk. Actually, I've heard that as well. Yeah, well, that's just not true. One of the things that I often say, those people that have come to my comprehensive lactation course have heard me say about a million times during the week, it's rigged. Our bodies are rigged for survival of the species. And the same goes for breastfeeding and lactation. We are rigged to keep the next generation alive and well. So what we know here is that many studies have shown that nutrients, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, vitamins, minerals, whatever, will all be taken from the mother's bodily stores. So it's not as though you have to be taking food in your your mouth right that minute in order to make good milk or make a volume of milk 10 minutes later. It just doesn't work that way, okay? Even if you're not in a disaster, it doesn't really work that way. You, You pull from your bodily stores. So what's the obvious answer here? The mother, you, need to take in food. And it doesn't have to be good food. It just has to be food. Good food would be better, but any food would be fine. You don't have to have a perfect diet. Now, here's another thing that kind of goes along with that a little bit, is that people worry that the baby isn't going to have enough water. And that's just not true either. Don't give the baby the water. It's very likely that the water is contaminated in a disaster. Not always. You know, certainly you could have different kinds of disasters. But if the water is contaminated, that only just adds another whole problem. I think that you should probably be aware of how important it is for babies and children to have whatever it is they need because 
statistics have shown that 95% of infant and child deaths in emergency result from diarrhea that is due to contaminated water and an unsanitary environment. So that being said, your milk is a good source of water and your milk is not contaminated, so your baby is going to have enough milk. And by the way, even if your baby does get diarrhea, in almost all cases, you should continue breastfeeding anyway. So that's myth number two. Here's myth number three, that there is no simple remedy for engorgement. Now, what do I mean by that? Unfortunately, sometimes in a disaster, mothers are separated from their babies. And if so, it may be that their milk, their breasts fill up with milk. And then you say, how am I going to deal with this? All righty. Well, there's a couple of things here. First of all, if you can get reunited with the baby, of course, that is ideal for any number of reasons. But if that is not possible, you can remove your milk by a number of methods. And I'm going to start out, I'm going to kind of have a myth on top of a myth here. The big myth is that pumping is the best way to express your milk. And actually, that's not true even if you don't have a disaster. But if you do have a disaster, pumping might not be the best way to express your milk. Why so? Because remember, you've got to clean that paraphernalia most specifically, the pump parts, the flange, and, and so forth, all of those things have to be cleaned. And if you don't have clean water, that is not a good idea. So, a couple of things. If it's just that, you're, if you, that you've lost electrical power, remember, if you can get to your car, you could have an adapter that goes into the car. Uh, it's the cigarette lighter that actually none of us actually use the cigarette lighter anymore, but uh, you can get electrical power from your car if you do have an adapter for your pump. That still doesn't solve the problem of cleaning your pump parts, but that's a possibility for you. All right, second thing is you should always, in my opinion, always have a hand pump on hand no pun intended there. They're lightweight. They're clean. I like those cylinder pumps. There's only two pieces to them. They're lightweight. They pack easily. I always suggest that people take these if they're going on a trip. They're not great, but they work pretty well as long as you don't mind using them for a short-term period. Hand expression is an excellent, excellent option. If you don't know how to hand express, you should learn. It's, it's really not that hard, ladies, okay? And then the other thing kind of sounds kind of wacky, but it really works. If you are in a disaster and you cannot let down your milk for whatever reason, you can boil a jar so that the, the boiling water destroys the germs, then cool the jar enough, right, because you don't, You don't want to burn yourself, but if the jar is still warm, you can put it, mm, how should I explain this, on the breast itself, but not the nipple areola, right? You're you're not going to put it on the nipple areola. What happens is that because of the warmth of the jar, 
it will help the milk to come forward. And I don't exactly understand the physics to that, but I absolutely know that it works. And if it sounds like a little crazy, like you're thinking to yourself, Marie, are you nuts here? No, I'm not. The World Health Organization has recommended this for years. And I'll tell you another thing is that it is in Dr. Ruth Lawrence's book. I have that in front of me. Title is Breastfeeding, a Guide for the Medical Profession. It is in its eighth edition. And this is, a, in my opinion, the number one most credible source on breastfeeding in the world, barring none. And as you might remember, Dr. Lawrence was on the show with me, I want to say about a year and a half or so ago. So th- this is a credible thing to do. Again, any of these things will be helpful you can get milk out. It will work. It's okay. All righty then. I haven't really addressed the idea of if you're in a situation where you have just given birth to the baby, but if so, everything that I've just said applies, except that if you've just given birth, there's a high likelihood that you you have not lost your baby in the disaster. So put the baby to breast, give the baby a good start, The immunoglobulins and protective powers are huge. And speaking of that, that would be a good time for me to remind you about the excellence of colostrum and a good time for me to tell you that this show is sponsored today by SweetSipsColostrumSpoons.com. Check it out. I will repeat that website. It's SweetSipsColostrumSpoons.com. I'm Marie Biancuto. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. Welcome back as we talk about breastfeeding in a disaster or in an emergency. So let me just summarize for you. Myths that I talked about in the first segment. Mothers are too stressed to make good milk or enough milk. Number two, malnourished mothers cannot make good milk. Number three, pumping milk is the best way to express Number four, there's no simple way to remedy engorgement. And that was sort of the myth on top of the myth. And now I'm going to move to the next one, which is once mothers lose their milk, they will not be able to produce milk again. False. Now, first of all, the whole idea is for you to not lose your milk. But if you do lose your milk, you can, in fact, be able to produce milk again. That's called relactation. So if you have lactated, it is very, very possible that you will be able to get back your milk. I know that some people are saying, Marie, this just sounds like so crazy. No, it's really true. And it has happened in many cultures over many centuries, probably over millennia, that women have relactated. So let's just say that maybe you weaned your baby when your baby was two months old, you went back to work, et cetera, et cetera, and it's now five months and you're in a disaster and you don't have any formula for your baby, even though your baby had been on formula before. Go ahead, put the baby back to breast. That is an absolute possibility. There is a high likelihood that you will get your milk back And I would suggest that you put the baby to breast at least every two hours. And honestly, if you're in a shelter, you don't have a whole lot to do. So putting the baby to breast every two hours is probably quite realistic for you to be able to do. I, I want to go back to what I talked about a minute ago about putting the jar on your breast and I said heat it up and then cool it down again. I'm not sure if I told you what size of a jar to use. Um, Everybody has a different size breast, so it's sort of hard to tell. But the thing that would come to my mind would be, for example, a mayonnaise jar. A mayonnaise jar has, mm, I don't know what, about 10 or 8 centimeters or so of a mouth at the top. Now, that being said, I want to tell you, I haven't bought mayonnaise in a glass jar in a while. You do need a glass jar because you need to be able to sterilize it with the heated water. But that would be, I would think for most people, the right size. Okay, so here's another myth. And this one gets to be a little bit different here. This has to do with losing milk that's in the freezer. And people kind of go kind of nutty about this. Understood. 
this is white gold. You don't want to lose it. So the first thing that I would suggest for you is try to prevent that. Again, it's really hard to speak to disasters because every disaster is different. Uh, I'm thinking, for instance, of one time when I was living in Rochester, New York, as was my sister. In fact, my sister still is. Uh, and she was without power for 11 days. All right. Well, then she's not going to have to deal with some of the things that you might have to deal with in a hurricane. But she certainly lost power. So. If you think you're going to lose power, that by the way, that was an ice storm. Um, if you think you're going to lose power, the first thing is try to put more stuff in your freezer. If a freezer is more full, it the contents will stay frozen longer. If you don't have something to put in the freezer, just put some water, like in jars or, or, uh, I I always have bottles and stuff that are hanging around my house, but even uh, a measuring cup would do anything so that the water will get frozen and that will help. Now, I believe it's the USDA, it's some official authority here in the U.S. that says that if a freezer door is closed, a full freezer will keep items frozen for up to 24 hours if the door stays closed. So that's one way that you can prevent your milk from defrosting. All right. Well, let's say that doesn't really help. Then you might, for instance, ask a neighbor or a family member. Again, in that same uh, situation where I'm talking about where we had the ice storm, I had electricity. The guy that lived across the street from me did not. Uh doesn't make any sense. It's just that sometimes that happens. So if you have a neighbor, that would be good. Make sure your milk is labeled and, you know, hope in my case, if it had been the other way around, you know, the, the man probably would not have, <laughs> have had the milk. So I'd probably be OK. But you know what I'm saying is make sure that people know where that came from. So the other thing that you can do is. If maybe you've got that milk that you did not have necessarily in the freezer, then what can you do? Well, you can try using one of those insulated uh, ice chests. That's better than nothing if the milk was chilled in the re refrigerator. Or you can leave it in the refrigerator if you think that somebody's not going to be opening the door a million times. Uh, there are probably some other things that you can do. A big question that I get is that after the electricity has gone off, how do you know if the milk can still be given to the baby? And the answer is this. If you still have ice crystals in the milk, it's still considered frozen. You all know what I mean by ice crystals, right? Now, another question that I get is, is it okay to refreeze the milk? I don't know. And let me explain why. As far as I know, we've only got one study on that. It was done by Rechtman in 2006. But if you look at that study carefully, you'll see that it was uh, lab controlled, which is not necessarily the same as what we would have in our own homes. So... I don't I really don't know what to advise you on that. I really don't. I suppose it's a possibility. You could also make the argument of well, the immunoglobulins in the milk help to keep it uh, okay. I, I really don't know, but that's a possibility. All right. Uh, the next one is 
formula is free. So go ahead and use it if it's distributed. Free food is good, right? Well, no, actually that's a myth. Remember, when you are breastfeeding your baby, your milk is more than just food. It's also a warm drink, which gives the baby warmth, right? It's like you drinking a hot chocolate or something, hot tea, whatever. It also provides immunoglobulins, and these help to fight infection. Remember that I told you that 95% of, of the emergency situations are because of illness and you kind of want to prevent that illness in infants and young children. Now, formula also carries some extreme risks in emergency situations. And I know somebody's out there saying, Marie, formula always carries risk. Well, yeah, okay. But in this case, it carries some very specific risks. If it needs to be diluted, the water is often contaminated in these situations, certainly not always, not always, but it could be, and that would be a problem for diluting the formula, but there's another problem as well, which is this dirty water is what's going to be, quote, washing, unquote, your bottles, your nipples, maybe even your breast pump paraphernalia, so just remember that It's not just diluting of the formula, it's also these other kinds of things. Now, we talked about babies getting diarrhea, getting sick, getting dehydrated. Remember, too, that some babies, the formula might just not agree with them. With or without the germs, the contamination, the disaster, or anything else. So if you possibly can, it would be way better to keep the baby at the breast. Here's another one. You might be in a situation where you can't actually sterilize the bottles or the nipples. You might not have fuel if you've got an electric stove, as many people do. Right now, I actually don't, but I used to. Then if your electricity is off, you don't necessarily have to have a full-blown disaster. The disaster may have passed, but you still don't have electricity. Remember, that's a problem for sterilizing your bottles. Here's another thing. Lack of electrical power can make it difficult to preserve the formula because you might be saying, well, gee, Marie, you know, the the formula is already a ready-to-feed. It's not a problem. So can't we just use it? Well, yeah, maybe. But then what are you going to do with the leftovers? If you just leave them out, that is going to spoil. So again, it's a much better idea if you can do breastfeeding, hands down. I, I'm sure nobody out there is going to argue with me that breastfeeding is always the best way to go. And then finally, there's the last myth, which is there's no help for a lactating mother whose baby has died. Well, I would certainly say there's very little help for the horrific loss that occurs uh Nobody can ever replace your child, that's for sure. But in terms of helping the mother, you or helping another mother, the question would be, how do you suppress lactation? Interestingly enough, one of the things that has been best studied is jasmine leaves. 
And the jasmine leaves have been fairly effective in helping mothers to reduce their supply. There are certainly other things that I could talk about them another time. There's, oh my, there's probably a list of 10 to 12 things that could be possible uh, milk suppressants. You know, here's one that we hear very frequently, which is sage and sage derivatives, or I should say in the same family as sage, things like mint and so forth. But anyway, that's a topic for a different day. So then let me just try to pull together what I've said as related to the myths that we talked about in this segment. And that is uh, loss of electrical power. There's no way to keep your milk frozen. Well, actually, there might be. That taking free formula is a good idea because it's free if it's distributed. No, it's not a good idea. And finally, uh, that there's no help. There actually is help for the mother whose baby has died. It's just that all we can help is her breasts or milk supply. It's going to be a long time before we can help her in other ways. By the way, if you are the aid worker in a disaster situation, it's always really, really important to give support to mothers for their breastfeeding efforts, especially if they're uh, in a situation where they might be relactating. But remember that every mother needs lots, lots of support, and a mother who has lost a baby needs a very special kind of support. I'm Marie Biancuso. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. 
To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. Thank you so much for joining me on Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. I want to talk about rusty pipe syndrome. I have no idea how many times I've gotten questions on this over the telephone. I get questions on this from mothers. I get questions from nurses and others who give care to lactating mothers. I I would say routinely, if I don't mention it in my comprehensive lactation course, somebody asks it, it's really important that you understand rusty pipe syndrome. So you got to be asking yourself, Marie, what is rusty pipe syndrome? Well, it's it's when your colostrum has a blood stain in it. And that blood stain can be a little or it can be a lot. It might be like just sort of a light orange or sometimes it's a really dark, more like a dark orange, red, brown kind of a color. And it is uh, quite disturbing to people because it looks very strange. Let me tell you, why it's called rusty pipe syndrome. And by the way, credit where credit is due here. The first person that I know of who ever called this rusty pipe syndrome was Shelley Marmet, who ran the Lactation Institute in California very early. And as far as I know, uh, she still is doing that. But I believe it was in the early 80s that she talked about this so-called rusty pipe syndrome. But there have been a number of articles that have been written, I would say, in the last decade or so. I bet you I have 12 of those articles sitting on my desk right this moment. So it kind of didn't get much attention for a while, but it's pretty interesting. Uh, So I want to tell you why it gets called rusty pipe syndrome. Have you ever had maybe a summer cabin or a Uh, cottage at the lake, where you don't go to that home for a while. And when you do go, what happens is you turn on the water faucet in the sink or in the bathtub and out comes the water and it looks kind of orangey color. But if you let the water run longer, what happens? It clears. And so is the case with this rusty pipe syndrome that is the blood-stained colostrum. The more hours that pass, the more colostrum that comes out, the clearer the colostrum becomes. So it is painless. It is also spontaneous. You don't need to stimulate the breast or the nipple. You don't need to squeeze it. You don't need to pump it. It could just kind of ooze out. That's called spontaneous. And honestly, You might not notice it if it doesn't ooze out. You might have a baby that gets right on the breast and takes it for himself. And if so, if the baby is nursing directly at the breast, you just might not see that at all. If you are pumping, that's when you will notice it. 
So when people ask me, is it okay to feed the baby this? My first answer is, remember, if you hadn't seen it, if the baby had been on the breast and if the baby had suckled it, you'd be none the wiser, right? So I don't really get in too big of a jump about this. I would say, however, that it's unusual. Some people would say it's rare. I did read a statistic that says that it's estimated to occur in only about 1% of lactating mothers. Uh, Honestly, I think that's a little conservative, but nonetheless, it's really worth knowing about. There are, as I said, a number of anecdotes. I think actually the fact that there are so many anecdotal reports is what makes me think, uh, as well as my own clinical experience, that it's probably more than 1%. This makes you wonder, okay, so there's very few women that get it. So why does it happen? And the answer is we don't exactly know, but it's probably caused by the epithelial development and the formation of the spurs of the tissue. And these project into the ducts and the alveoli. Remember the alveoli, that's sort of those little bitty capillaries, like a little network of capillaries that are within the breast. And then probably this just develops. I would caution you, however, and this is a serious caution. Remember that what you're seeing with this bloody discharge might be due to something else. And by the way, sometimes it looks just plain bloody. Sometimes it looks more like blood and water, and that's called serosanguinous. Now, in Lawrence and Lawrence, which is the book that I just referred to in the first segment, that's Breastfeeding, A Guide for the Medical Profession. Dr. Lawrence says that it could be, and and I agree, the blood could also be due to cracked nipples, It could be due to mastitis. It could be due to trauma on the nipples of some kind. It could be some vascular engorgement. It could be any of those things. There are, however, some pathologic reasons for why you might see this bloody colostrum or blood-stained colostrum, and those are more concerning. For example, a bloody discharge not bloody colostrum, but a bloody discharge, which could mimic that, uh, can be seen when uh, the person has a ductal papilloma. And that's more concerning. Remember, that also can be spontaneous. But there is a difference that is important to notice. If you have the bloody whatever it is coming from both breasts and you're lactating, it might very well be explainable as this rusty pipe syndrome. If it's coming from only one breast, I would be a little more concerned. I would be a little more vigilant. I would keep watching in a more methodical way. In either of these cases, it's painless, whether it's the rusty pipe syndrome or a ductal papilloma. You don't necessarily have to have pain. And by the way, the ductal papilloma is usually not associated with a lesion that you can feel, a a bump or a lump or something that you can feel. Uh, It also might be due to fibrocystic disease. Now, if you've got fibrocystic disease, you may have already been diagnosed. So, yes, it could be due to something else, and you should kind of check that out. Be aware. But, again, I want to say, look at where it is. If it's on one side, I would be more concerned. 
if it was on both sides and you're lactating and it's during the colostral phase right after delivery uh, or even if you're pregnant, then I would be saying, eh, you know, it's it's very likely to be the uh, rusty pipe. Who is most likely to get this so-called rusty pipe syndrome? A woman who is having her first pregnancy or her first baby. Now, back to the pregnancy part. I would say that it is more likely to show up postpartum, but then, of course, I've done more postpartum than I've done prenatal, so that might be just my own observations. You know, as I'm fond of saying, one nurse's observations do not a study make. But uh, if it's going to happen in pregnancy, some sources will say that it will happen in the second trimester of pregnancy. Other sources say the third trimester of pregnancy. But anyway, either one of those are possible. If it occurs after the delivery, it can begin as early as within a, a few hours of birth. The question is, when does it resolve? And this spontaneous resolution is important. For some people, it goes away in a couple of days or even less. For some people, it can last as long as about 10 days. Now, if it weren't going away within 10 days, then yes, I would be more concerned. Again, you know, that's kind of the Marie Biancuso thing. Marie kind of likes to wait and watch for a little bit, see what happens. So, again... What should you be doing? Well, you should look for, is it on one side or is it on both sides? When did it begin? When did it resolve? If it has not resolved within 10 days, and you are, and certainly if you're not lactating, I'd be way more concerned. But presuming that you are lactating, if it did not go away within 10 days, I would probably be asking my primary health care provider to do a little bit more here. And that is, uh, how about... Some diagnostics, an ultrasound, for example, would be a good thing. So I know that the question that you're really asking is the one that people are always asking me in class or over the phone, which is, is it okay to breastfeed? And the answer is yes. If the baby can tolerate it, yes. And the only reason I give that caveat about if the baby can tolerate it, if it's real thick and real bloody, uh, it might not seem the, the baby might not really like that, but uh, yeah, it is okay. And then I would also say, really look and make sure that it's, if there's such a word as gradually going away, I would be looking for that. You really want this true to form of what I've just talked about for why it's called rusty pipe is that when you have a rusty pipe, the water clears gradually and you would want to see the same sort of thing as you go along with this so-called rusty pipe syndrome. By the way, this would be a good time for me to tell you that I'm soon going to be promoting, we've had this for a while, but I'm going to be promoting my Step Up program. I know that there are many of you who are peer counselors and you might very well have already completed a 45 our lactation course in order to get your certification to become a peer counselor. If you are looking for the other 45 credits, 
We have that immediately available, but we're going to be making a little bit more noise and promotion about that in the next few weeks. If you're interested, please call my office at 703-787-9894. Ask about our Step Up program. And also, uh, look on our website at www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuso. We'll be right back after this short break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuso, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. I also forgot to mention to you, I was just clearing my desk at the break here, and I want to point out to you this new guideline that just came out. And I mean, it just came out from the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Um, I take that back. It's been out for just a little bit. It's the other thing that I didn't get a chance to talk to you about today that's just come out. But this relates to this whole business of storing milk. And I meant to mention this when I was talking about freezing milk. This is the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine's clinical protocol number eight. It it is revised 
in 2017 human milk storage information for home use for full-term infants. Now, I presume that for most of you who are listening, you are in this boat. Human milk storage information for home use for full-term infants. And they have updated these storage guidelines, and I'm going to give this to you verbatim. They talk first about how long you can store milk at room temperature, and they define room temperature as 60, excuse me, 60, 60, 60 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 16 to 29 degrees Celsius, and they say that four hours is optimal. So room temperature, four hours is optimal. How about storing in the refrigerator? Okay, they define that as approximately 4 degrees Celsius, equivalent to 39.2 degrees Fahrenheit. And here they say 4 days is optimal. Then they go on to say something that troubles me, which is 5 to 8 days under very clean conditions. It troubles me a little bit because that 8 days thing Trust me, I have read what I believe to be every study out there since 1979. I have a huge pile of these. I've read them. I've read them often more than once. I'm only aware of one study that showed that you could keep milk up to eight days in the refrigerator. And if you look at that study carefully, which, by the way, is why I always say read the whole study. Um, I'm blanking right now on the, the study's author or should I say lead author, but anyway, I distinctly remember that they had the milk in the refrigerator with the door closed in a laboratory for eight days. Now, if you have a teenager or a toddler or anybody else who's opening your freezer, that means that you're not going to have necessarily the same results as they had. I don't know anybody who goes and puts stuff in their freezer and doesn't open the door for eight days. Only two people that live in my house, and I'm one of them, and that's, that just never occurs. So I think that I like their idea of four days being optimal. I, I think that's a really good way to put it. All right, then we're coming to the part you really want to know because I harped so much today on the business about frozen milk. And that is, they say if the temperature is less than minus 4 Celsius, that is less than 24.8 degrees Fahrenheit, that you may keep your human milk for six months optimally and that up to 12 months is acceptable. Now, one of the things that people get really messed up with is that people ask me, well, yeah, but, you know, how come there's so many different guidelines by so many different people and it's different for full-term babies than preterm babies and it's different in this container than that container? Okay, I get all that. I know it's confusing, but these guidelines, while seemingly contradicting each other, really don't. And why do I say that? Because in the old days, the only thing we had to look at was buildup of bacteria. Now we know that we need to be looking at so many other things. Like, for instance, uh, does the vitamin C break down? And the answer is yes, probably does. It does. 
No probably about it. However, if your baby is nine months old and he's eating other stuff that contains vitamin C, then maybe that's not such a big deal. Does it decrease the amount of antioxidants? Well, yes. But you see where I'm going with this discussion, which is the discussion nowadays is really about much more than just bacteria. And so it makes it very, and it also depends on what kind of a container it's in. It also depends on if it was uh, under clean circumstances. So all of those things kind of play into it. And that's why you end up with different guidelines. I do want to tell you, though, that if I had to choose only one source, this would be it. I would choose the source from the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine Protocol. It is on page um, 392 and was published in the journal's, excuse me, the official journal, and that would be Breastfeeding Medicine. It's volume 12, number 7, 2017. So anyway, I hope that that kind of clarifies things. I know I, I, and I could really, I could probably talk days on this whole thing, but because those guidelines are fairly new and they relate to what I was saying earlier today about storing and saving milk, freezer, et cetera, et cetera, I think it's important that you are aware of those things. This would also be a good time for me to say, if you have questions, please email me at radio at born to be breastfed.com. That's radio at borntobebreastfed.com. You're also welcome to go on our Facebook page. By the way, if this show is helpful for us, for you, would you please like us on Facebook? It takes a whole team of people to get this show together every week. We'd be really grateful to hear from you. So anyway, I think that that's about all that I have for today. And always, it just seems like this hour just flies right by. I would like to thank all of you for listening. Without you, I don't have a show. I would also like to thank Sweet Sips Colostrum Spoons for sponsoring this show. Again, that's SweetSipsColostrumSpoons.com. Now, if you're interested in books or other media that was mentioned on the show, please give us a little note on our Facebook page and we will show you how to do that. You are also welcome and should visit us at borntobebreastfed.com. I will be putting up a blog about this week's show. There's blogs from previous shows there as well. So that's borntobebreastfed.com for books or media or my blog or whatever. If you're listening, this is the place for you. And feel free to leave a question for me and feel free to like us while you're there. Now, switch gears. If you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember I'm putting up my new course, but I've got plenty of other courses for you as well. I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web with internet-based education, but sometimes in person in your city. Go to breastfeedingoutlook.com to take a look at my courses and tons of resources, including free resources if you're prepping for the upcoming exam and more. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. And in the meanwhile, remember what I've always said, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. 
Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.